Amen. You can be seated. Take your Bibles, and I'll tell you where to turn. They already did, but turn to Habakkuk. And so if you don't know where that is, it's between Nahum and Zephaniah. So that should give you some help at that particular point. We will be in Habakkuk for three weeks. Uh, this may be one of the most relevant books in the Old Testament for the day in which we live in. So I want to look at the, the negative today. Next week in chapter 2, what we'll be looking at is the underpinnings of the entire New Testament. There is a verse there that is literally critical in the New Testament that Habakkuk uh, will make a statement about. And then in chapter 3, in the midst of difficult days, he's going to close with, we rejoice. We, we live in joy. And so we're going to look at that over the next few weeks. So while you're still looking for Habakkuk, quickly, I have my family down front, some of them. My wife's here today, and my daughter, Stephanie, my wife, Jan. Uh, they've kind of been released from the praise team at North Richmond Hills, so they joined me today. And I got three grandkids and then my son-in-law, Troy, so it's good to have them with me this morning. All right. You may relate to Habakkuk at this particular moment at some time in your life. But I want to go back and talk about a few things in the past. This is still giving you time to find Habakkuk. You know, ever so often there are certain events that happen within all of our lives that are seared within our minds. I mean, we literally know exactly where we were, exactly what time it was, and we live with that for the rest of our lives. Now, probably within the congregation today, there may be one or two still who remember where they were on December the 7th, 1941. Now, most of us, we weren't around yet when that took place. But that's when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, Hickam Air Force Base. In fact, if you're ever on Hickam, you, walk, you have to go through there. Uh, the machine gun fire from the Japanese Zeros are still in the buildings. They did not remove any of the damage to some of the buildings that took place on December the 7th. So it would be a long-lasting memorial of not being prepared. But even Jan's father was greatly affected because shortly thereafter he went and joined the Navy because he didn't want to be on the ground fighting in Europe or in the, the, the Pacific Ocean. So he joined the Navy, thought that'd be safe, and they put him in the Marines. And he'd end up at Iwo Jima and Okinawa and Guam and different places like that before it was over with. But those events were so seared within the minds. Of, my dad talks about exactly where he was, what was happening at that moment. And he was just a child of 10 or 11, but he's never forgotten. Now, there are some today, and mo not all, but about half today. You remember where you were on November the 22nd, 1963? I was in the fifth grade. Miss Alfin's room. The room behind the library. Three o'clocks when word came to us, the principal came on and said, I need to make an announcement. The announcement is that our president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, was killed this afternoon. I still remember the girl behind me. I had front row seat, row three, screamed, just screamed loud. People were in tears. It was quite a, quite a, a shock to everybody's system. And so if I'm in the fifth grade, I'm about a 10 or 11 years of age at the time, and I still remember the whole weekend. Some of you, you can go back and you know exactly where you were. For most in here, but not all, because some of you are still too young, do you remember where you were on September the 11th, 2001? 
I'm coming off Reed Road onto Calabria in San Antonio. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I have an errand to run before I went to the office that morning. Our, our church was on Calabria and Reed. I come down Reed from my house, and so I made a right turn instead of a left turn, and just as I'm making a turn, I hear the announcer talking about a plane had crashed into a tower when suddenly he goes, it just happened again at 8.03. The second plane hit the second tower. And that day unfolded. I turned around and went straight to the office. We're a military church. I knew immediately that would put a change on everything that went on at our, in our location. And so we went. We had the TV on all day. But I still remember that entire weekend of how all that unfolded in our lives. Well, when we get to Habakkuk, he's having events like this. The kind that are so difficult that they be in your mind for the rest of your life and they, they lead you to ask profound questions of what's going on and why this is happening. Now for us, history doesn't always ring much bell to us except maybe in our own contemporary events. But when Habakkuk is going to preach, it's during the time of Jeremiah. Do you remember when Jeremiah started his ministry? Who was king? It was Josiah, a good king. One of the best kings they ever had. What you got to know is these prophets like Jeremiah and Habakkuk, as they're going about doing what God's called them to do, have to experience what became an immense national tragedy to Judah. Josiah did what? He got word that the Egyptians were coming across. They're bringing a huge army and they're moving over towards the, the Syrians. And they're going over there to join them. But in the process, a battle develops between Judah and the Egyptians. And Josiah, who had been told this would happen, was killed on the battlefield. It was the same thing that happened when John F. Kennedy was shot in Dallas. He was killed on the battlefield, one of the finest kings they ever had. So the nation's going through mourning and all the tragedy that was involved in that. What happened thereafter, after the death of Josiah, literally profoundly changed the rest of the world. Because on a battlefield not far from Megiddo, where Josiah was killed, you had what was called the Battle of uh, uh, Chemimash. And what happened there was the Babylonians went against the Syrians and really totally, before it was over with, obliterated them from the face of the earth. And the dynamics of the entire world changed at that point. And the threats to Judah will go up dramatically at this point. The Assyrians had been dangerous, but the Babylonians are going to become even more dangerous. And it's at this moment that Habakkuk, raises his voice and he speaks so if you'll stand with me i want to read the first four verses you'll need your bibles open because we're going to cover a lot of the first chapter but here's what it says the oracle which habakkuk the prophet saw now quick i won't use it anymore but the word oracle means burden it means this is heavy on his heart this kind of thing it's a very dramatic events going on in his life and so what he's dealing with he, he needs answers, and he's hurting, and he's trying to figure life out. Verse 2, how long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not listen. I cry out to you violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists, contentions arise. The law is being ignored. Justice is not being upheld, and the wicked surround the righteous, and justice comes out perverted. Fathers, we look at this today. Help us to grasp and understand, because 
in a sense, we may be living in a similar time frame that Habakkuk is dealing with. And so may we learn great truths from this today that will give us the strength and the courage to be the kind of men and women you've called us to be. So watch over and guide us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Habakkuk struggling, guys. You've been there. You know what these struggles are about sometimes in your life. And he is not handling it well. You know, sometimes we think prophets and some of these Old Testament saints and even New Testament apostles are supermen. That they had this amazing amount of courage and strength that the rest of us never attained to. But they didn't. They were just like you and I are. And they dealt with some of the similar issues we did. You know, as great as the Apostle Paul was, whenever he's writing Corinth, he told them, because on the road from Philippi to Corinth, he had been beaten with rods, he had been run out of Thessalonica, he had been run out of Berea, he had been laughed out of Athens, and the, the attacks on him and Corinth were so severe that God had to give him a vision and let him know, I want you to stay in this town, and I want you to keep preaching, and I'm going to make sure you get through this. It took a vision to give him the strength and courage to go on. Later, when he writes back to Corinth, he said, I was with you with much fear and trembling. I'm glad he said that because there are moments in time that things shake us so bad that they do produce within our heart those kind of feelings. Well, Habakkuk is there, and he's not handling it well. You, you hear it in verse 2. How long, God? How long? It's not the first time anybody has said this. The psalmist said it. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me now? Or Psalms 22.1. My God, why have you forsaken me? Words later expressed by Jesus on the cross. There comes moments in time that the struggle is so real and we're wanting some answers and they're not happening. And you can cry out all you want to and you're not going to hear anything. Because the struggle is that God's not answering the prayers sometimes. Sometimes we're made to walk through these dark moments and difficult times and there's no answers going to come as to why this is happening or what's unfolding. If you'll notice in verse 2, he says, I called for help. Now in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's a PL uh, verb form and it's PL also in the Hebrew. I got that a little mixed up there. But it means this, I've called, I've called, I've called, and I've called, and I've called, and I haven't heard anything. He's been on his knees. He's asking for answers and for help. And there's absolutely nothing coming. Verse 2, not only is he calling God over and over, I'm crying to you. Why? What's going on? Let's stop for a moment, add some context to these cries. What's happening in Judah right now? What kind of land is it like in the city of Jerusalem at this moment? Well, here's what's been going on. Isaiah looked at, and when he's preaching just before all of this took place, he says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Things had already started changing. The people of God getting mixed up on what's right and wrong. We live in that day. I'm stunned and shocked at some of the stuff I see and hear nowadays, whether it be on our news and Twitter or paper or whatever it may be, of how people are calling things that are good evil and things that we believe are evil, they're calling them good. That was this day. And it's going on and on and on, and it's getting worse. In 2 Kings, you got Manasseh, who led this nation of Judah completely astray. So they had had a bad king who literally seduced them to do wrong. And so the culture is collapsing quickly around them. And then you have 
Habakkuk dealing at this point, and that's when Josiah is killed. So you've got that shakeup going on. You have the collapse, which is the battle. Carchemish is unfolding. And Jeremiah, who is contemporary and right in the midst of this with Habakkuk, says, for my people are foolish. They know me not. They're stupid children. They're shrewd to do evil, but good they do not know. The cultures change. The people don't know God. What religious work they do do is more out of rote than out of a heart that loves the Lord God with, with the way it's supposed to. And so Abaca, he is not a stupid man. He's a very sharp man. And so he's in the midst of a spiritual struggle, a really bad, difficult time. I called, you didn't answer. I cried out. There's violence. And I don't see you changing anything. The violence is real. You know, I preached this message for the first time ever this summer. I did it at North Richland Hills. The pastor had asked me to do it. And so it was during this time frame that I preached it at this in a church called Masterpiece that we had in Halton City three policemen shot in one night. Some of you may remember the story back from this summer. But if you don't know that story, you also know that last night in Times Square that three policemen were attacked with a machete just before the ball begins to drop and the violence that we see all around us. He's begging God, what's going on? You're not stopping it. Why are you not stopping the violence that is around us? You're making me look at iniquity. I don't want to see these things. It troubles our heart when we see a lot of what goes on. And they said, I'm surrounded by evil. Sometimes we, we feel that way, even in the midst of our country in which we live in. And you're causing me to look on wickedness. And God, doesn't it break your heart? Because it's breaking my heart. These are the struggles that this man's going through. And he said in verses 3 and 4 this, there are strifes all around. People are having fights everywhere you turn. Well, that's pretty relevant today, wouldn't you not think? Get on an airplane and watch what unfolds sometimes on an airplane. We stopped at Whataburger this morning to grab a quick bite before we came here. And the lady said that in the middle of the night while she was working, they got some really bad customers in, throwing fits and just ha acting up unbelievable during the night. Well, we live in a day of strife. So did, so did Habakkuk. He said there's quarreling going on all of the time. People are fighting back and forth. And the law is being ignored. Nobody pays attention to the law anymore. And he says justice is never upheld. Justice is never upheld. And over our own country, we've seen over and over people who've been killed by somebody who's been released from prison who should have never gotten out. And he then says we're surrounded by the wicked and it comes out perverted. Everything that's happening is just messed up. You know what? I lived during the 1960s as a child and a high school student. 60s were pretty messed up for those of you who remember the 60s. We had assassinations. John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, along with a couple other people who were shot during those days. We had race riots and riots. Detroit nearly got burned down. I think that was when L.A. and the Watts riots may have taken place. I may not be exactly right on that one, but it was not a good time. And the war in Vietnam was, is, was not going well. And my friends were coming back as I'm in my junior year, are coming back from Vietnam with horror stories of what was going on. And I was dreading my 18th birthday because of the draft and all that was involved. But you know what? 2020s seem like even worse days than when I grew up in the 60s with all that is happening. We may face difficult days ahead. You know, I like to do 2023 and say, hey, 
God told me today that everything's going to be a piece of cake and this is going to be a booming economy and you're going, to have, you're going to get the biggest amount of money you've ever gotten in your life and your kids are going to do well in school and everything's going to be super nice and everything else. But there are struggles around. Things don't change sometimes in life. In fact, my best, one of my best friends, Doug Brinson, yesterday said to me, who is a war hero from Vietnam, I sometimes feel like a foreigner in my own country. So life has changed. So I'm going to ask you a question because I don't know you guys very well. I'm getting to know some of you. And you don't know me that well, but I want to ask you, how are you doing through all this mess? Are you asking the questions of ask, of how long, God, is this going to take place? God, I've been praying, but you're not doing anything. I'm not hearing anything. I keep praying and asking for help. When you watch TV on your, or you're, and you're watching the news, what's your response? Are you angry? You're frustrated? You shout at the TV set? Or do you ignore it and hope it all goes away? You know, when hope begins to disappear slowly like that, Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred, in the Hebrew means to drag it slowly out of us. When hope's slowly being pulled from us, our heart becomes sicker and sicker. So when the days are evil, know this, there are a few to help us out with the right perspectives. That's why God's Word is so important. And if I stopped right here, and this was our message for New Year's, this would be sad. But these were difficult days he was writing to, just like we've been in. So what does God tell Habakkuk? Verse 9, they can't be stopped. They come for violence. They're already experiencing violence. And they mock at kings. I mean, they mock at other leaders. They, they're, they're arrogant. They're powerful. And they're here. And God says, but you know something? I'll hold them guilty. So what's going on in his day? The world looks like it's falling apart. The Chaldeans are in control, and God's saying this, I'm at work. I am using them to bring judgment to the world. I'm using them to accomplish what I need to be done. See, our God is sovereign, and He's in total control of all that's going on in this world. And if you'll hold on to that truth, it'll give you strength like you cannot begin to imagine. Our God cannot be defeated what he accomplished through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, is literally going to come to completion and fulfillment someday in the future when Christ returns in all of his glory. But we're not left off to the side. We're not in some deist type of religion where there's a God up there, but he's not paying attention. Yes, he's paying attention, and he's fulfilling exactly what needs to happen in our days and in our times. And at times, sometimes he does use the evilness of a Chaldean to accomplish his purposes. Proverbs says the Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. I want us to look around, and though we may think the world is falling apart, it's not. Our God sits on his throne, he's at work, and he's going to accomplish what he wants. How about Romans 8:28? For we know. Years ago, I'd quote this at my church in San Antonio. For God calls us all things to work together. And one of my deacons, one of my good friends, Ron Sweet, one day after a sermon walked up and says, quote the whole verse. I said, I am quoting the whole verse. He said, no, you're not. You're leaving out the first three words. And we know. So I've never done it that way since. I do it correctly now. And we know. What do we know? That God causes all things to work together for good to those who loved him and are called according to his purposes. So though we may live in a time and a frame where things do not look well, 
where trouble may be all around us, where there seems to be evil, where good's being called evil and evil's being called good, our God is accomplishing what needs to be done. And if he has to use some people, we go, why are they being allowed moments like this? He's still accomplishing his purpose. Which leads me to this thought now. And that's where Habakkuk goes next. We will not always understand what God is doing. But we have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Habakkuk's not going to get all the answers. He's been told, I'm doing something, and you really, you probably wouldn't believe I told you everything I was doing. But knowing that God is in control will not answer all your questions. It, can't, it just will not happen. Look at verse 13. He asks some questions. Why do you look on favor with those who deal treacherously? And there's no response. God, why do you let the Babylonians do this treachery on everyone else? In verse 13, why are you silent when the wicked swallow up the righteous? And there is no answer. It's at this moment we come to what I think Habakkuk is all about. I don't know if you have a life verse that you hold on to. In 1976, I had just taken a job with Kroger uh, in management in Houston. I graduated from college that December, and I went to work for them. And every day, my parents lived in Canada, and so I was down in Texas by myself. I put on my mirror in my little one-bedroom apartment there off Chimney Rock in, in southwest Houston, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I was not anywhere close to a biblical scholar. I knew John 3, 16 and a couple other verses. I was a new Christian. But I just put that up there, and that became my go-to verse when I couldn't understand what was going on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, because you'll not be able to figure it out. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, you acknowledge Him. And you know what He'll do? He'll make your path straight. And the word for make straight is in the PL in the Hebrew, which means He will really, 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 really make it straight great intensity in that verb. God's at work in your life to bring you to a point. Philippians will tell us that he who begins a good work in us is going to bring it to completion at the coming of Christ Jesus our Lord. So what it comes down to is what Habakkuk is going to be told he's going to need to do here. God doesn't answer all of our questions, but he's going to direct us where we need to be. And you and I have to get to the point that we just trust him. So what does Habakkuk know about God? Well, he knows in verses 12 and 13 that God is everlasting. He knows that he is holy. He knows that he is sovereign. He knows that he is a rock on which he could stand. He knows that his eyes are too pure to approve evil and that he cannot look on wickedness. See, he knew what Jesus stated in the New Testament in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus said there's no one good but the Father alone. He knew that God was good all the time. And all the time, God was good. And that would give him the strength to be able to go. Which leads me to this. Though we may not understand all things, we can trust that God is good. And that God is in control. And he's demonstrated clearly to each one of us that through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you and I would stop and just for a moment look at it a different way, <clears throat> we would be amazed and live in wonderment at what God is doing. And if we were to do that, 2023 would be a great year. It really would. No matter what good or evil came our way, it would be a good year because we'd see our God at work. 
You know, it was during one of the worst events that ever happened on the face of the earth, the crucifixion of Jesus. When he was on the cross and when he breathed his last, there was a Roman centurion at the foot of that cross. You know the story. He'd been keeping guard over Jesus during this entire crucifixion. And when it was over and Jesus breathed his last, what did he say? Truly, this is the Son of God. You know, sometimes in the most difficult of moments, we get our clearest vision of what God's doing and who he is, just like the centurion did. Thomas, later, a couple weeks later, can't buy it. And then Jesus walked into his midst and he goes, my Lord, my God. He, he doesn't understand how all this has happened. But he suddenly, in the most uh, tragic moment of his life as a disciple with the death of Christ, suddenly sees clearer than he's ever seen in his entire life. Well, there's a famous passage in Habakkuk. We'll deal with it next week in detail. But this passage in Habakkuk is chapter 2, verse 4. And it says this, The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. In the midst of all of this, what Habakkuk is being told is, those who are righteous, those who are going to come with God, they're going to do something. They're just going to trust Him. They're going to trust Him. Did not you sing that just a moment ago? Everyone in this room who was singing a moment ago, did you not sing that? I will put my trust in you alone. I will put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. You lifted your voices up in a moment ago for that statement. You said that in your singing just a few moments ago. You will not be shaken. Why? Because you put your trust in God alone. See, our problem is we want God to answer all of our questions. That's not going to happen. You and I probably couldn't handle if he told us everything we want, we keep asking him about. In fact, I will tell you this, coming out of a military setting, it's above your pay grade. And if you've raised children and they're little, you don't tell them everything going on. They can't handle it. You just let them play with their toys and enjoy their lives and you take care of all the difficulties that come and try to protect them from it. God is the Father. We're the children. We've been adopted in His family and He's telling us this. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. The world's falling apart. Going to hell in a handbasket. My hand is on you. You belong to me. And what I've started in your life, I'm going to bring it to completion. And if you just open your eyes and look around me, you'll be astounded at what I am doing. See, I think we're probably in the greatest days we could ever walk through because in the darkest of times, light shines the brightest. And you and I have been given an amazing opportunity to be able to see some truths that come out of God's Word. I close with this thought. Here's how this works. I love Colossians 2.6. It just simply says, as you have received Christ, so walk in Him. How did you receive Christ? For me, April the, excuse me, August 13, 1974, in Gloria, New Mexico, at Student Week, I gave my heart and my life to the Lord Jesus. I was 20 years of age. 
I came to the point for the first time in my life that I trusted that the gospel was the answer to life and I trusted that he would take care of me and he would bring me home. Now, I kind of grew up in a day when I think our evangelists called us down to the front and wanted us to give our lives to Christ and then we never told what to do afterwards. You know what you do with it after you came to Christ? You do the same thing every day. You trust Jesus. You just trust him. He's going to take care of you. He's going to do a good job. It's going to work. Doesn't mean you're exempt from difficulties, from tragedies, or anything else. But when it's all said and done, he will do well. And you're going to be all right. First sermon I ever preached was 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. You don't have to look at it right now. I preached it in Bonita Baptist Church in Bonita, Texas. I'm not even certain I could find the little town today. One of my seminary friends was a pastor there, and he asked me to come preach that weekend for him, and I, I did. And why I picked that passage that day, I'll just say God led me to it at this moment because I really had only preached one or two times in my entire life. And they'd been in my home church where it was safe. And the people would come up after and say, oh, you did such a good job because they didn't want to be mean or anything like that. And they'd pat you on the back, our little preacher boy. And, you know, he's got a lot to learn still, but okay, you did good, those kind of things. But I got up there that morning and I preached. What I did not know that sitting right here in about row three to my left was an elderly gentleman. And remember, I'm in my 20s at this time, so he might have only been 50 or 60, but I thought he was old. He came up afterwards he said, thank you. He said, Steve, I'm dying of cancer. My days are very few and I'm not taking any more treatments. And it's over for me. And your message was so on target today. I'm a 23-year-old kid who has very little insight about what's going on, but the power of God's word. What, what did I preach on? For momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparisons. His cancer was a momentary light affliction leading him one day into the glory of God. See, that was a man who my eyes were not open enough that day to even see that, but his eyes were open and he saw God at work in the most tragic and difficult of moments in his own life. So 2023, what are you going to do? Trust God. Same thing you did in 2022. But may we all in 2023 do a little bit better job. And though we look around sometimes and are frustrated about what we see, may we stop and give him glory and honor. Join with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for the day and for the privilege and the honor you give us to study your word. We thank you for difficult passages like this. Because there's been moments in every one of our lives, and none of us in this room are exempt from this, that we don't ask these kind of questions and wonder where you're at, God, and why you're not helping and why you're not answering our prayers. But yet you're at work. And you're telling us, slow down. Open your eyes. Pay attention. If you'll really look, you'll see I'm doing something amazing. So, Father, give us spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear, that we can fully grasp and understand even a Romans 8, 28, how you can take all things and make them work together for good. And it's something that we can deeply know every single day. And may we take this today 
And this week, we walk by faith and trust in you. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us? Brother Steve has invited us this morning to walk by faith and to trust in Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I'm not sure how to do that. I've never really come to a place in my life where I've given my faith uh, to Christ or I've trusted in him. Justin and I will be down here this morning. We would love to visit with you about what it looks like to take that first step. Or maybe you this morning, you've just been discouraged. Maybe it's been a long time since you've remembered how to trust and walk in faith. I encourage you just to pray. If you need somebody to pray with this morning, we'll be down here. Uh, But we invite you to take this time to reflect on what we've heard from your word this morning. Let's worship together.